1: soccer show and our preview of world cup group e yes it's the group where spain hope they will reign and it's a talented team that wants to win mucho under the guidance of their coach lucho but one team who'll try and give them an early bath is our friends who qualified from CONCACAF. costa rica shouldn't be too much for spain to handle but you never know with we'll a forward like joel campbell and when you're thinking of potential champs, it would be pretty daft if you didn't consider the boys from Die Mannschaft. Germany have won four times and their aim should be true, especially now Timo Werner won't have the ball on his shoe. And finally, there's another team who expect to go through and there's no shortage of talent on the Samurai Blue. Will Japan stop the Spanish or Germans from progressing? Maybe, but hopefully, our previews will aid your guessing. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who has not sat down for a whiny tell-all interview with Piers Morgan lately. Taylor Rockwell, hello.
2: Lately and never, my friend. If I were to do a whiny tell-all, I assure you it would not be with Piers Morgan. Uh, Didn't know I could dislike Cristiano Ronaldo more than I already did, but turns out I could.
1: Yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo, do
2: you think he was thinking, this will fix everything for me at Man United? In the sense that it forces them to get rid of him, yes. Like, I think they have to basically, what, pay him off, cancel his contract, whatever it will take. Because he was, as far as I understand, available for transfer if people could meet his demands and people could not meet his wage demands. So who knows if that's the case. But either way, yeah, this feels like he was told – Maybe just say some things that remind everybody that you need a move and instead of saying a few things, he said a whole bunch of things.
1: Yeah. Well, prospective buyers, this is the quality of the character yeah. you may be buying. Guy who says lots of terrible things about his club and then pieces out to Qatar straight away. Wonderful. Yay. Stuff. Yeah. Perfect. Also here, Taylor, a man who can analyze a soccer game much quicker than his state can count votes. Joe Lowry, hello. Hey.
3: Yeah, that is true. I blame mail-in ballots for that, and that is legitimately the reason why. We're not just slow counters,
2: guys, I promise. You and the GOP, my friend.
3: I, I also liked I also liked this whole bit about, uh, I don't know if you guys got this tweet, I think we're all tagged in it, about how crazy we all go when Ryan rhymes in the introduction. Um, I don't know if you guys were sent that. It was a meme, I think at least Graham and I were tagged in it. And I'm still chuckling at it because, Ryan, that intro was great. And your rhymes are funny. And I laughed. That's just how it goes. Um,
1: If I could have thought of a word to rhyme with beluga, I would have um, replied to that tweet, which had a lovely little whale in it.
3: Tortuga, man. From at climbing cantor to give the credit. That was beautiful. Thank you.
1: Tortuga. I could have gone in a hole. Oh, yeah. You're right, man. I'm going to go retire. Not before I uh, introduce a man who has something in common with Dua Lipa as he won't be performing at the Qatar World Cup opening ceremony. Is that right, Graham Ruffin?
4: Well, I saw that Dua Lipa has uh, rejected the notion that she will be reco- uh, re- uh, performing at the Qatar World Cup. So maybe I'm going to get the call anytime soon. Maybe, maybe I'm maybe third or fourth on that list.
1: I'd imagine so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, after, qu- after you, Ryan Bailey, uh, performer extraordinaire. You're probably a little ahead of me, I'd say, Graham. Uh, much more entertainment value, I would suggest. Um DuaLoopa says, I will not be performing and nor have I ever been involved in any negotiation to perform. I'll be cheering England on from afar and I'll be looking forward to visiting Qatar when it has fulfilled all the human rights pledges it made when it won the right to host the World Cup. Nice statement. Uh, Yeah, Graham, you will not be in Qatar because you will be... With the TSS boys in New York City. Woo! We are doing a live show November 20th in Brooklyn at Littlefield. It's going to be amazing. Uh, you can buy a ticket. There's a few left if you head to the link in the description of this here podcast. And Graham, we've got something else very special to announce. Have we not?
4: Indeed we do. So as well as Total Soccer Show Live from New York on Sunday, November 20th, as you mentioned there, Ryan, we'll be doing another event called the TSS World Cup Watch Party. It will be on Sunday, November 27th, so uh, a week later, at Parklife. That's the name of the venue. It's oh, also no. in Brooklyn. <laughs> I know you couldn't resist, Ryan Bailey. Once of the 90s, always of the 90s, Indeed. Ryan Bailey there. Um, we'd love to see as many people there as possible. Um, there are only 100 tickets for this event, so as much lower uh, availability the price is also lower and this is a different sort of event to the to the live show so the the live show is very much a show in a show setting the watch party will be much more informal there'll be a bit of a quiz there'll be some prizes maybe some drinking given that it's taking place in a bar and it'll be on during the the spain germany game obviously those two teams being in the group that we are previewing today it's almost like we planned it almost a disclaimer Mm. or peek behind the curtain complete fluke. we didn't plan that at all but that is the game that will be on during the watch party the event will start two hours before that and basically the idea is to get a whole bunch of people together to watch a game have some chat have a quiz have some fun and uh I have to say if a jum from a shoe is going to be drank at either event, I feel like maybe this is this is the event for that. This seems like more of a shoey
1: event, right, mm. Bailey. Um can you remind the listener what a and, and myself what a jum a is? Are you saying jum?
4: Yeah, so it's gin and rum mixed together oh, that's and right. it's terrible.
1: Yeah, okay. Uh, if you I'll 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 tell you what, listener, if you come along, I'll do one of those out of a shoe. How's that sound?
4: Yeah. Okay. You were doing one anyway. You didn't have a choice.
1: (laughs) As long as I get to pick the shoe, I'm happier about the situation, Graham. But uh, yes, Uh, Spain versus Germany on November 27th, uh, the Sunday, the the Sunday following our live show. Please do come along to Brooklyn Park Life uh, for a watch party. Uh, Come to both events if you want. If you wish to lead a rich and compelling life, which I'm sure you do, listener, Uh, join us there. (laughs) Link in the description for that one. Also, uh, we are covering Group E, as we mentioned, Spain, Germany, Costa Rica, and Japan. Two big sharks, Taylor, in this Group E tank. Uh, exciting times
2: ahead for this episode, Taylor. I'm still sort of excited from the fact that you, you in your introduction, had Spain and rain, and yet did not go with plane. And I think that's to your credit, Ryan. You zigged when I thought you would zag. Well done, my friend. Too easy. That would have been too easy.
1: Yeah. The rain in Spain does not fall on my intros, Taylor. (laughs) (laughs) No, it does not. No, it does not. It does not. It does not. Um, Okay, why don't we start off talking about Spain. Graham Rutherford, you're going to be covering Spain. By the way, I'll run through who's covering what. Costa Rica is going to be Mr. Joe Lowry. I will be covering the Germans. And Taylor, you have the honor of talking about Japan today. We're gonna start though with Spain. We're gonna hear uh, 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 Graham, their nickname and also Mm -hmm. what we're dubbing their TSS nickname, which should serve as a small preview of what they're all about. So officially
4: the, the Spanish national team is known as La Roja, which translates as the red one or La Furia Roja, which is the red fury. I like that one a little bit more. Nobody ever calls Spain that, uh, so let's give them something more descriptive of what they actually are. So the Total Soccer Show, an unofficial nickname for Spain, is possession is nine-tenths of the law, FC. Rolls off the tongue. (laughs) Uh, Spain like to have possession. That's the stereotype about most Spanish teams. But in this particular case... It's apt. If you lose the ball against Spain at this World Cup, there's a good chance you might never see it again until uh, until full time. And I think the, the nine tenths of the, of the law nickname works because that final tenth, I am considering that to be putting the ball in the back of the net. And that is, as I will, I will, I will detail a little bit later on. That is a little bit of a difficulty for this Spain team and maybe the one barrier in front Mm -hmm. of them to being among
1: the favourites for this World Cup. So, Graham, what you're saying is Spain still like to pass it a lot and not score very much. They're still on their old BS for this tournament.
4: Yeah, nothing has changed since uh, 2008.
1: (laughs) Wonderful to hear. Joe, how about Costa Rica? Tell us about their nickname and your, your little moniker for them as well.
3: Costa Rica's real nickname is Los Ticos, and and Taylor, I know this is a really popular nickname. Like, I I was aware of this nickname before I started to do the research for this preview. Taylor, did you ever know in all your years of covering CONCACAF in the U.S. why they're called Los Ticos? Because I had never heard this before.
2: I'm not sure that I do, No.
3: Okay, so, so I knew that it was a term that many Costa Ricans used to sort of call themselves, right? If you're from Costa Rica, uh, you might see another Costa Rican and, and call them a tico, right? That's that's something that I had heard of before, but I never had known why. So many Costa Ricans over time started adding tico to the ends of words. So chico became uh, chicotico, and poquito, which is like little or small, becomes poquitico. And so apparently over time... That ending Tico is what Costa Ricans started to use to to refer to each other. So I had never heard that before. That that's the real nickname, which I do quite like, and actually does get used. My TSS nickname for them is not going to catch on for our Costa Rica's. I'm um, uh, for Costa Ricans. I'm pretty sure, but it is Bridge and Fortnite. Let me explain. Uh, there's an explanation. I promise. So that nickname gets at the different generations that are on this team. There is a lot of oldies <laughs> who I imagine love playing bridge, sitting around the table playing bridge like kids okay. in the 1960s. And then there's a lot of youngsters who are just sort of starting in their careers. They're playing Fortnite. Ain't no way they're playing bridge. So there is sort of a generational divide in this team. Certainly a number of different generations represented. A lot of old players are going to play key roles and a lot of young players, too.
1: Okay, so uh, half the team won't know how to use the remote control and half will, is what you're saying. Correct.
3: That's okay. exactly right.
1: Excellent stuff. Look forward to hearing more about Costa Rica. Costa Rica excuse me, later on. Uh, Germany, I'll tell you about, though. And I'm going to start off from the outset here. I think maybe some people would expect me as an Englishman to be Looking down on the Germans, but I won't be doing that because I actually have quite a strong affinity for the Germans. I am an Englishman with a strong affinity for the US and also warm feelings for the Germans. And as to quote Larry David, it's always nice to be affectionate to something German when he was stroking the German shepherd in an episode. But um, <laughs> I have lots of German family. My father was born in Hamburg and uh, I have a very distinct memory of the Euro 96 final, which Germany won on golden goals. Uh, RIP Golden Girls and the phone ringing several times afterwards with gloating German relatives because they called us because we were the English ones. Fun. Fun time. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, the nickname of <laughs> the Germans, uh, they have they have several actually. Die Mannschaft is the one, sort of the branded one they would use which literally means the team. Uh, the ones that are more commonly used and might actually be used by human people are Die Nationalmannschaft or Die National Elf, the national team or the national eleven. And interestingly, uh, the DFB actually cancelled the name Die Mannschaft back in July, back in the summer. That was sort of a, a name they introduced uh, in 2014 into their branding. And Germans don't love it because they just refer to the Mannschaft or the national team. Uh, Die Mannschaft is a bit too brandy. So it was, uh, they were told to stop trying to make Fetch happen. And um, they've dropped that one. So they're now called the National Mannschaft, I suppose. <laughs> but my nickname for them is Die Große Überraschung. The big surprise. Uh, It's not usually a surprise for Germans to do well, but in this one, I think it kind of is, and I think they will. They're coming into this tournament out of two pretty terrible tournaments. The expectation at home is pretty low. The expectation in the German media is pretty low. There's unusually low confidence in this team. And you've got to think, to basically every World Cup, we always think the Germans don't have a superstar team. They don't have that player who's going to take them over the edge. And they always, or they almost always trick us. So they do have very good players. And they another nickname which they do kind of use is that they're a Turniermannschaft, a tournament team. And Germany definitely is a tournament team. They raise their game at tournaments. You could argue the US do the same, in fact. Um, but nothing less than the semifinals would be a success for this team. And I think they will meet that target. Die große Überraschung, the big surprise, Taylor. Why don't you tell us about Japan,
2: too? I shall, my friend. Japan has a nickname. You said it earlier. Uh, the Blue Samurai, Samurai Blue. Uh, they tend to wear blue as their uniform. Uh, samurai because I guess they didn't want to update it to the evil businessman, which is what uh, like all Japanese people were portrayed as in the 1980s. We're going to skip all <laughs> stereotypes. We're going to go with something completely different. They are now the Dame Helen Mirren's. That's right, Japan, the Dame oh. Helen Mirren's, because there is age and there is beauty. Uh, the average age <laughs> of this team is twenty-seven point seven, which isn't the oldest, uh, but they only uh, re- they retained it two starters from uh, the last World Cup. Uh, in addition to that, four players will be in the squad from 2018, so they have a lot of veteran play in there. There's a 39-year-old goalkeeper, a 36-year-old fullback, 34-year-old center back captain, a 29-year-old midfield anchor who might be their most important player, more on him later, but they will play very exciting, very high-energy soccer, and I think they could even surprise a giant in this group. So, uh, though they've got a lot of uh, veteran nous about them, I think they are still uh, wily and energetic and will make a splash at this tournament wow so they might
1: surprise the big surprise is what you're saying, exactly Taylor.
2: yes that's the goal wow. to, to surprise the big surprise and then make it a big, big bigger big surprise.
1: surprise the biggest surprise of them all <laughs> so many surprises in group b e. wonderful stuff uh, let's we got to go to a break but before we do so let's go quickly round the houses for the story of each team heading into this tournament what they've been up to graham let us know about spain how have they been doing apart from passing into oblivion and not scoring as much as they should <laughs>
4: So Spain were, were, were very good at the Euros last summer, maybe even a bit stronger than people expected them to be. They made it to the, the semi-finals, where they lost to eventual winners Italy in a penalty shootout. It was a very different story at the last World Cup in 2018 when Spain sacked their manager on the eve of the tournament and then lost to Russia in the last 16. So they'll be hoping for a, a better tournament this time around. Four years ago, that that Spain squad, it felt like it was very much at the end of a cycle. So guys like Gerard Pique, Sergio Ramos, David Silva played in that World Cup. Diego Costa was still very much their, their first choice number nine. They were all key players for that Spain team. It was an aging team. And after that tournament, Luis Enrique comes in and his brief hasn't just been to achieve results with this team. It's been to bring in young players, and take Spain into this new era, this new generation. and I think he's succeeded in that regard that the Spain team is much younger than the one that flopped in Russia four years ago. I think Enrique has been or Lucho, as he's often called in in spain he's been he's been lucky in a sense that his time in charge has coincided with the emergence of a number of world class young talents. So maybe not all down to him. I think Barcelona have, have played a role in that realm. Madrid have some young players of their own as well. But he's he's done a, a good job of harnessing that talent and forging a team out of that talent. And Spain, I don't I don't quite have them in kind of my top three favourites, but they're not they're not far below that. That they, they they should be a threat at this tournament. They should be a quality team. They were impressive in qualifying, so not just the Euros. There is more evidence. They won six from eight fixtures and only lost one of those games. Sometimes there's still a bit of an edginess around this team, so they lost at home to Switzerland in the Nations League in September, the last international window. And it was slightly surprising just how much criticism Lucho faced for that. They did then go on to to beat Portugal in the very next game, so that kind of uh, mitigated a lot of the impact of the, of the Switzerland defeat. But nonetheless, I wrote about it at the time, there are a good number of Spain fans who think this team should be steamrolling teams, that they have the, the, the talent to do that. That's not really their their approach. Um, and as a Scotland fan, I have great sympathy for fans whose complaint is that their national team doesn't win emphatically enough. But that seems to be the the complaint a lot of Spain fans have. But nonetheless, this is a very well coached team. They have very talented players who I think are going to be around at the top of the game for a long time. I'll talk about those, uh, those players a little bit more later on. And I think they will be a
1: threat at this World Cup. Indeed. The Spanish demanding another star on their jersey, Graham, it appears, according to their media. Whether they get it or not, uh, plenty standing in their way. Joe, Costa Rica, tell us their story.
3: Costa Rica was bad at the start of World Cup qualifying in CONCACAF. They had one win, three draws and three losses, and it really did not look like they were going to make it to the World Cup. But then they finished, uh, finished the OCHO in their last seven games with six wins and one draw and zero losses. So they finished fourth in the OCHO. They get a spot against New Zealand in the Intercontinental Playoff, and that was huge for them. Joel Campbell scored in the third minute of that game. Costa Rica sat back, ended with 33% possession, took four shots, but won 1-0. So that recipe of sitting back, trying to hit on the break, and hoping that a few shots can be enough is something that Costa Rica is going to have to put out there pretty much every single game of this group stage. We can talk more about tactics later. But they won that game against New Zealand, and now they're going back to the World Cup. So since then... They played two games. They've drawn one. The most notable result, um, sorry, they've, they've won two games and drawn one. The most notable result was a 2 2 draw with South Korea, which I think showed that this team can do some damage. South Korea had a lot of their best players in that game back in September. That was a good performance and a good result from Costa Rica. And in that game against South Korea, you had a mix of the old guard and the new guard for Costa Rica. And I got at that in my nickname. That's kind of where this team is right now. They're trying to find the right balance between old and new generations. And this, this is going to be their third straight World Cup, right? In 2014, they have a really good performance. They lose in the quarterfinals after beating Uruguay, beating Italy, and drawing England to top their group, which was incredibly unexpected. Then they beat Greece in the round of 16 and lose to the Netherlands on penalties in the quarterfinals. So a really good run there. A lot of the same players come back in 2018 where they don't make it out of the group. They lose to Serbia, Brazil, and draw with Switzerland. And then a number of those players who were there in 2018 are here in 2022. So a lot of key players over 30, but now some really exciting and talented players in their late teens and early 20s, Costa Rica are going to need to find that pretty much perfect balance and get something from everyone in their squad, or at least everyone in the top 18 players or so of their squad, if they want to make a run in Qatar.
1: Good stuff. Thank you very much, Joe. I'll do a quick pre-see of Germany's story leading into this tournament. Uh They qualified with 27 points in UEFA Group J out of a maximum of 30. They only conceded four goals as well. That one game they lost was at home to North Macedonia. Oh, boy. Uh, North Macedonia, who went uh, who finished second in that group and then knocked Italy out of the playoffs, of course, uh, before Portugal knocked them out. Uh, Germany are 11th in the FIFA rankings, which depends how much weight you put in those things. But that's pretty low by their standards. Uh, And if you look at their recent form, only one win in their last seven games. That was a 5-2 win over Italy. Once again, in the Nations League, Uh, their last game was a pretty manic 3-3 draw with England at Wembley back in September. Uh, they've also they also lost to Hungary in that international window, and in those last seven games I mentioned with only one win, they've kept zero clean sheets. They do have a friendly coming up uh, this Wednesday as we record against Oman, so we'll see if they keep a clean sheet there. Uh, the last two tournaments, as I mentioned uh, earlier were major embarrassments for the Germans. They were out at a group stage, famously, at the last World Cup. Uh, the first time they lost out, they moved, uh, sorry, they were eliminated at the first group stage since 1938, back when their flag was a swastika, just saying. Uh, they became the fourth title holder in the last five World Cups, not to make it out of the group stage in 2018. Uh, the Euros in 2020, 2021, They only won one game. They crept out of the group before losing to England 2-0 in the knockout stages. So to evoke a pop-punk band, they are at an all-time low. But as I mentioned, they are a Tunia Mannschaft, a tournament team. Their expectations have been adjusted here. The press, as I mentioned, is a bit more negative than previously. Um, Anything less than Final Four, as I mentioned, is a failure. And I think they will not fail. I'll get more into that a little later I think they are setting themselves up for some success but I shall hand the mic to Taylor Robb right, Rob. Ryan just, just just quickly are Germany actually England
4: 2018 here? Sounds like very much the circumstances from which England had a good tournament
1: Interesting Yes
4: <laughs> Thank you. I was wondering if you were going to actually give me no. a conclusive answer. I like so the yes. analogy.
1: I like the analogy because it's unusual for Germans and the German media to be negative about their team because they expect they have high expectations. But I think you're quite right there, Graham. The the, the de facto uh, English entry into a tournament is negativity. It certainly was up till 2018. And you're right. That was a final four appearance there. There could be similar a, a similar guiding ramp to this tournament, so I like that one. Good mm. stuff. I like it a lot.
4: I hope Thomas Miller has, has brought
2: along the the inflatable uh, <laughs>
4: unicorn to the it. swimming pool.
1: <laughs> Good. Yeah,
5: yeah, we'll that, see. That yeah. would be
2: the final the final thing that makes it clear. Like, yep, okay, there are unicorns in the pools. We know that this is England in 2018. I also like if we extend that analogy further, we know Hunty Flick taking over from Yogi Lowe, this esteemed manager who's had tons of success. So we can now call uh, Sam Allardyce the English Yogi Lowe because Gareth <laughs> Southgate takes over from him. So I think if we're yep. extending that analogy, he, because, it works perfect. Because uh, Sam Allardyce also likes to scratch and sniff. Yeah. Oh, similar hygiene issues. Yeah. Shall we move yes. on? Yeah. Really, Japan, really, really yes. quickly. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's talk about Japan. Their story, story heading into the tournament, and I think they are in a very enviable position because they qualified. Pretty easily, but I think there was an awareness that they needed to change things up, and I think they have done just that. So in terms of qualification, as I said, fairly straightforward. They finished second uh, in Group B in the final round of AFC qualifying. They breezed through their uh, initial group. They didn't lose a single game in eight games. They finished second to Saudi Arabia by one point, but seven points ahead of Australia. So they avoided the playoff comfortably in there, comfortably qualified. The less comfortable thing uh, was that they did not score a ton of goals. Only 12 goals scored in those 10 games in that final stage. They only conceded four. So a very good defensive effort, but not a ton of goals scored, which you might think is, oh, they're sitting back. They're not creating many chances when the opposite is true. They created the highest volume of chances in the final group stage round of qualifying of any Asian team. They had 147 shots uh, over the course of qualifying in that final round, Uh, 17.2 expected goals. They only actually scored 11. I think they got 12 in total, but one of them may have been an own goal. So you're only getting 11 goals from a ton of shots. Two schools of thought there. They're getting chances but not taking them or they're not getting enough good chances to take them. And I think that second one is where they have sort of decided to focus, that they needed to change things up, and that's kind of what they've done. Uh, and I'm I'm teasing uh, when we get to the manager and his tactics, but I will say that in watching Japan, in reading about Japan, I think the U.S. game where they sort of embarrassed the United States in that 2-0 win for Japan, the 2-0 loss for the U.S., we heard it discussed as an experimental team with not that many first choice players or not as many first choice players. I think that is there's a good chance that is their starting 11 uh, for their first game of the World Cup. Maybe a couple players change in the attack because they 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 can kind of chop and change as they need to. But I think they kind of landed upon a, a formula that will allow them to have more success in front of goal while still being just as uh, defensively disciplined as we've come to expect uh, from Japan in qualifying. So I I think, if anything, they're in this spot where they qualified well, they can be defensive if they need to, they can play without the ball, but also, if the situation requires, they can now be very aggressive if they're chasing results. Uh, In one of their final games, they pressed Australia, uh, had uh, ball dominance, and they ended up getting two late goals. And I think that was, again, the start of them realizing, if we be a bit more aggressive and change the shape a little bit, we can uh, make... Big, big changes and get big results. Uh, more on that to come. But for now, it's a, I think, confident Japan heading into the tournament.
1: Thank you very much, Taylor. I, I have to admit, I wasn't fully focusing. I was just thinking of Yogi Love ordering pints of wine.
2: Yeah. I mean, he, he yeah. may I'm well distracted. do that now. He's got time. He does indeed. He
1: does indeed. Let's think about that as we take a quick break. When we come back, let's learn more about those managers. Not Yogi Love, a different one. Back shortly.
2: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone?
1: Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our World Cup Group E preview. Graham, tell us about Lucho and his oeuvre, please.
4: So as you mentioned there, Luis Enrique is the the Spain manager. He's probably the the highest caliber manager at this World Cup in that he is a, a former Barcelona manager, a very successful former Barcelona manager, Champions League winner. And he's, he's still only 52, and he could quite easily, I think, go back into the top level of the club club game. In fact, I think that is a possibility after this World Cup. He's been linked with the Manchester United job recently. I saw a, a Spanish newspaper link him with the Atletico Madrid job. Obviously, Diego Simeone not doing so well there at the moment. So I do expect that one one day he will go back to the, to the club game. He, he's an interesting guy, Luis Enrique. So he, he runs marathons, he does Ironman contests... Um, after retiring as as a player, he lived in Australia for a bit just so that he could go surfing uh, every day, which was which was interesting. He he wears jeans that are way too young for him and with no <laughs> socks either. Sometimes he looks cool, and then other times it looks like he uh, he got an Urban Outfitters gift voucher for Christmas Aww. and he's never been in that shop before <laughs> in his life. Um, so technically, lucho has been in charge of Spain since just after the last World Cup. But he did take a a four-month spell out in 2019 due to the the tragic death of his daughter, who died from bone cancer. And it would have been understandable had he not returned to football after that. But he was reappointed Spain manager. And there was a slightly unsavoury episode where Roberto Moreno, who had been the, the interim coach, he'd been the assistant alongside Lucho. Lucho counted him as one of his best friends. I think they maybe played together as well. He refused to leave the post um, when Lucho said he wanted to come back and, and that caused a, a bit of an unsavory episode. It wasn't a great thing. Lucho called him disloyal. I don't th- think those two men speak anymore. So as I say, that, that wasn't particularly fantastic, but he's back in charge of the Spain team. In terms of his tactics, he he likes to use a, a 4-3-3. That will probably be the, the framework that Spain use in most matches in Qatar. They like to play it from the back. That's why Unai Simon is in this team uh, as the goalkeeper, because he's certainly not in it to actually make any saves. Uh, I'll come on to the goalkeeping situation a little bit later on. Spain, as is now customary and and stereotypical, they like to control the ball. They had a a higher share of possession than any other team at the Euros last summer. It's not not quite pure tiki-taka, but it's not far off. It's probably the closest we have seen to tiki-taka since Guardiola's Barcelona team. In the attacking phase, they like to create overloads. They have a mobile midfield. They play one-touch passes. They use inverted wingers who come inside to, to join in with the possession. They are often accused of lacking creativity, but I actually don't think that's the problem, or at least it's not their biggest problem. This Spain team again, almost stereotypical here because we've said this about maybe every Spain team for the last 15 years or something like that, but they lack a stone-cold killer in front of goal to convert the chances that they do create. That was certainly the issues at the Euros. My mind goes back to their opening game against Sweden in that tournament, which they drew 0-0, after having 85% of possession and 17 shots, and their expected goals, I believe, was was just over three in that game. So that kind of summed up the weakness of this Spain team, and it could feasibly be the weakness of of them again at this World Cup. I don't think they have quite found that stone-cold killer number nine for this tournament. On the defensive side of things, Spain, they they like to sit in a high block, they press quickly, they counter-press, and the general idea is that when they lose the ball, they win it back quickly. Um, the high line that they use depends on on having players who have recovery pace. And Spain do sort of have that in terms of the pace through Pau Torres and my old favourite, Eric Garcia. That's likely going to be the the centre-back pairing for this tournament. But Garcia in particular... He's not always excellent in his execution once they do get back. And and so it's possible that you can make and take chances against Spain if you can get in behind them. They're not quite as defensively solid as maybe previous Spain teams have been. When they have the ball, you're not going to get a a chance. You can score against this Spain team. But generally speaking, this is a strong Spain team that very much plays like a stereotypical Spain team.
1: Good stuff. Thank you very much, Graham. Um, I was... Interested to hear about Luis Enrique moving to Australia to surf, as if he couldn't find anywhere closer to Spain to go surfing, yeah. such as Spain.
4: Yeah, it's not like Spain has a peninsula or yeah. anything, or the Iberian Peninsula is not where where he lived. Yeah, he had to go all the way to Australia. I, I mean, I guess if you've got that money and you like surfing, why not yeah. just go to the surfing capital of the world? Why not? Indeed,
1: do why not? I have actually. I once went to the World Surf Championships in Bilbao, so they do have good waves there. <laughs> just for the record. Anyway, Uh, Costa Rica, I think they have surfing too, Joe. Tell us about surfing for a couple of minutes, will you?
3: Yeah, I got lots on surfing. Do you guys want that now or do you want it late? We'll do it later. Why don't we do it later? Maybe after we we stop recording. Bonus Um, Bonus episode. Instead, and everybody wants to hear about this instead, let's talk about Costa Rica's tactics, shall we? Manager is Luis Fernando Suarez, 62-year-old Colombian. Been to two World Cups before, one with Ecuador in 2006 and one with Honduras in 2014. He was hired in June of 2021, and as I said earlier, his Costa Rica team struggled heavily at the beginning of World Cup qualifying, and there were lots of questions about Luis Fernando Suarez. Eventually he gets the team over the line. Uh, in a group with three proactive teams at this World Cup, Spain, Graham's already talked about, Germany, very proactive as well. and uh, in Japan, who we saw against the US being very proactive. They are going to not have much of the ball in this tournament, Costa Rica, I would wager. They will defend, often in a pretty tight 4-4-2 block. We could see some back three as well, given the amount of attacking quality in this group. They don't really high press. They'll be in that narrow shape, like I said. They're going to try to force teams to cross and really close down the the central areas of the field. Then they're going to try to hit on the break, and Keylor Navas is going to try to do his thing in the back, which is kind of a two-part role. The less important part is distributing some long balls, which he is quite good at. The more important part is just saving Costa Rica's hide time after time after time. And I think we could see some of that. It's going to be a tough road for Costa Rica. Their game plan is not complicated. Teams know how to attack them. Costa Rica knows how they're going to attack their opponents. It's all out there in the open. If Costa Rica do get out of the group, it's going to be because of their defensive work. It's going to be because they hit hit on the break in attacking transition. And it's going to be because of Kaylor Navas, who we'll talk more about later. That's the rundown on Costa Rica. Thank you very much for the rundown, Joseph. And a quick
1: one on Germany and uh, their manager in their tactics, Hans Dieter Flick, as we mentioned earlier, known as Hansi Flick, of course. And that's the German abbreviation standard, by the way. So Klinsmann is Clinsey Hans Dieter is Hansi, Adolf is Addy, which is why your Adidas apparel is not Adolf Das, basically. Adidas Anyway, uh, Flick was Germany assistant between 2006 and 2014 during Germany's very successful rebuild period. He, of course, assisted Jogi Löw, the aforementioned potential pint of wine drinker. Um, Less than two seasons at Bayern, uh, Flick spent, uh, and he's got seven titles between 2019 and 2021. So he was quite good at Bayern, did quite well. And many of the tenets of, uh, of the team there have carried over or have been... Transmogrified, weird word, to the national team. So he plays a 4 2 3 1 with the national team as he tended to do at Bayern. Sometimes a 4 3 3, but predominantly a 4 2 3 1. Known for a big counter press, is his German team. Lots of intensity and aggression. Great at winning the ball back high up the field. Um, lots of aggressive fullbacks. What I'm hearing, Graham, is basically. They're quite similar to Spain in many respects. They don't, they're, they're mm. ma- their main number nine, Timo Verna, is out injured for this one, as I hinted at in the intro as well. So without their most natural number nine as well, perhaps that game against uh, Spain is going to be lots of intense countering and the ball going up and down the field, but no one putting it in the net. What do you, what do you think, Graham?
4: Uh, yeah, I mean, that is a way to sell tickets to the TSS uh, <laughs> World Cup watch party. But thanks for that, Ryan Bailey. Just kidding.
1: It's going to be <laughs> 4-4 um, Yeah, with many goals in extra time. Yeah, good. Cool. All right.
2: Japan, Taylor. Uh, Japan's manager is Hajime Moriyasu, uh, who has been in charge since August of 2018. Basically, as soon as they were out of the last World Cup, he took over. He was formerly their U23 coach. Before that, he managed for a club in Japan, and that's about it. He's got a a lengthy—like, he's been a manager for a long time. He has not had a ton of gigs, but he has been a manager since uh, 2012, and been with Japan since 2018, Uh, as I said, through qualifying, uh, they they had a pretty successful campaign, playing a 4-3-3, but maybe not good enough, and that's where they have switched uh, more recently to more of a 4-2-3-1, which doesn't seem like a huge difference, but the the thing that that has allowed them to do... When you look at Japan's depth of talent, they are very strong on the wing. They are very strong in the sort of number ten position, uh, and in the four three three, that wasn't really getting the best out of what they had. So this adjustment, which I don't know if we first saw it against the United States, but we definitely saw them move into this shape uh, versus the United States, and that allows them to press out of a four four two defensively, but then uh, attack in that four two three one with very aggressive fullback play. It kind of tore the United States open. And and you can see what they did against the United States is what they're going to try to do against opponents. The fullbacks will step very high. The number 10 will sit on the sort of uh, the deep-lying playmaker, like the Tyler Adams role, the the number 6. Uh, the forward will press and split the center backs. And the whole idea is to funnel the opposition into the middle of the pitch where they can then win the ball back aggressively high up and then establish possession. And that's been working for them, this formation change. It's getting the best out of the talent they have. They are scoring more goals. And I think we will see a blend of that approach here in the World Cup because they, they really can be a team that sits back and lets the opposition have the ball and then still gets wins against uh, Saudi Arabia in a 2-0 win. They only had 40% possession, but were, we're pretty comfortable with that against the United States in their 2-0 win. They only had 43% of the ball. So they can sit off, they can be more aggressive when they need to, and they've got a lot of talent to make that happen. Uh, we'll get into some key players uh, later on, but the, the tactics have really allowed certain players that maybe haven't gotten a ton of headlines to shine. Uh, Junya Ito is one, for example, who there's other maybe more glitzy Players that could start on the right wing, Ritsu Duan, uh, Duan, excuse me, Takafusa Kubo could even play there. Uh, but it, it seems like it will be Ito because he has proven himself and Moriyasu has thus far been very hesitant to sort of chop and change and make a bunch of adjustments to his teams because when he inherited Japan, it was an older squad. The last manager, uh, Akira Nishino, uh, only t- took no one under the age of 25 to the last World Cup. So Moriyasu has been trying to kind of make the squad younger, but keep Uh, plenty of the veterans around and and have that blend so he doesn't just want to chop and change and raise expectations and make players think they're going to be involved or not going to be involved and so I think he's been very smart about the way he has built this team about the way he has evolved their tactics and about the personnel he has brought with him to Qatar if you can't tell I'm pretty hyped about Japan
1: yeah it sounds like you are and it sounds like I'm pretty hyped about this group now but Mm -hmm. hearing about it at least three of the teams are going to be pretty positive and playing high up the field, Taylor, and, and oh, being aggressive. Yes,
2: and then honestly, Costa Rica rounding it out is equally fun, not just because Costa Rica historically have been fun at World Cups and tend to spring surprises, but also because they're really difficult and really frustrating if you aren't used to them. And to see other nations get super frustrated about Concacafery is always, always enjoyable, I think, for American supporters and certainly for Los Ticos supporters as well.
1: <laughs> Wonderful stuff. And And Taylor... Uh, judging by what the J- Japan did against USMNT, mm-hmm. do you expect them to have success against the likes of Spain and Germany, given the way they would set up? Or
2: I, I think I so. I, I really do. I don't. I like. I. You all are both making very good arguments for why Spain and Germany will be quite good. And, and I think if they were just trying to, I always pick on Fulham. I apologize, but when Fulham like uh, came up that one year and. We're gonna be expansive and aggressive, and we're gonna take the game to Man City. That didn't really work out for them. And I think if Japan were wholly built on we're gonna have the we're gonna be ball dominant, we're gonna take the ball to you, we're gonna keep possession in your defensive third, I don't think that would work out. But that they are comfortable like sitting a little bit deeper and then launching counterattacks and then building possession from there. They're not going to muck about in the back. They're not going to get caught in possession, I don't think. So I, I think in a lot of ways, they are well positioned to cause problems for teams like Germany and Spain. Uh, the Costa Rica game, I think, would be one where they will expect to have more of the ball. And I think they can uh, get a result there, too. So uh, I think they will, no matter what, be a really interesting, exciting team to, to get to watch.
1: Good stuff. Thank you, Taylor. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's learn more about the key players, uh, the roster uh, that we might expect in this group, and our very specific predictions. Back shortly.
5: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash Courtside to learn more.
4: This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX
3: is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu.
5: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash Courtside to learn more.
1: Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our World Cup Group E preview. I'll start that again. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our World Cup Group E previews. We turn our attention now to Graham Ruthven, who's going to tell us about the Spanish squad, their key players, notable missions. Anything else, Graham? Uh, I think that pretty much
4: covers it. I mean, the, the key players that I am going to mention for Spain, listeners... Well, I've heard of these guys already. They're superstars, but nonetheless, they are key players for for this Spanish team. Spanish team. So my first key player for, for Spain, he's 19, he's amazing, and he's the, he's the new Andre Iniesta. Um, it's probably unreasonable to expect that much from someone so young, but Pedri is Spain's most important player, maybe even their, their best player. He is the, the one who makes things happen for them. He's got excellent technique. He can spot a pass, he can beat a man. There are signs that he's starting to add goals to his game as well, which when he broke through, that was always the criticism of him was that he didn't have enough shots. And when he did have a shot, they weren't particularly good. He scored more goals this season Uh, His goals to game ratio is better this season than it has been in the last two seasons. And if he has a good World Cup, then Spain are going to have a good World Cup. I'm pretty confident saying that. The issue for Pedri is that he's looked pretty tired recently, Mm. which isn't too surprising given that both Barcelona and Spain seem determined to make him play a thousand matches before he turns uh, 20. I think last season when he played the Euros, he'd, he'd played something, I can't remember, I should have looked in my research, but it was something ridiculous, like he'd played like 80 games in a season. Um, so I would be concerned about the workloads that club and country are putting on him, but he is a, an excellent player. Gavi is, a, is another excellent player, he's another one of Spain's next generation. He's even younger than Pedri, he's 18. And he shares a lot of the, the same qualities with Pedri. Obviously they both play for Barcelona and they both have all the qualities and technical ability that you would expect of Barcelona players, um, excellent on the ball, both diminutive. But Gabi brings something slightly different. So he's the one that offers the the tenacity and and the bite for for the Spain team. He is a midfielder by trade, but he he drifts all over the all over the place, pretty much everywhere he's needed. And so. When you, when you look at Spain's team, when Lucho picks these teams for this World Cup, it's possible that Gavi could be out on the left on paper, could be out on the right, could be in that midfield three... But he's kind of positionless in a sense. Um, he he drifts out wide. He gets forward into the box. He stays, leap, stays deep. Excuse me to 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 link up with Pedri and Busquets. He's he's the glue in this Spain team essentially, and he's a surefire bet to get a yellow card in pretty much every match he plays. Just one for the 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 parlay. If that's your your sort of thing, his his yellow card ratio is extraordinary. It's extraordinary but that just kind of reflects what sort of player he is. Very tenacious. Very quick into the tackle. In terms of the attack, it's it's a little bit trickier to identify the key players for, in this Spain attack because Lucho chops and changes a lot. And as I said at the start, they don't really have that, that first pick number nine that you can build an attack around. It was the same at the Euros. And while Lucho he does have some favourites like Ferran Torres or, or Alvaro Morata, I expect they, those two will feature quite a lot. Um, it's difficult to predict how the attack will be in every single game. So I'm going to take a little bit of a punt on, on a player here. He might not start every game. He might come off the bench. But I think Ansu Fati could be a real difference maker for Spain at this World Cup. So he's he's been eased back into this Barcelona team this season after a long time out with injury. But Spain need attackers who can burst into the box and finish, essentially, and convert chances. And I've always thought Ansu is very good at that. He, his, his conversion rate is exceptionally high for someone his age. He's a very young player as well, still a teenager. So I think if he were to have a good first game for Spain, he, he could make his position stick in the, in the starting lineup. As I say, it's likely that we'll see lots of different attacking formulas from Spain at this World Cup. But I think Ansu Fati is the one. You look at him and you, and you think, if he were to get hot at this tournament, he's a bit of a game-changer for Spain.
1: Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, Joe, with Costa Rica, I was looking at Brian Ruiz and his career. He first played in international soccer in 2005, 18 years ago. That's quite a good run.
3: Yeah, Brian Ruiz has been around forever. At this point, he's 37 at this point, and it is still an important contributor to this Costa Rica team, although, thankfully for them, I think he's not doing as much as he has in the past because, Taylor, I know you'll remember this. It's the U.S. men's national team against Costa Rica in World Cup qualifying. The U.S. is at home. Uh, The U.S. turns the ball over, and they turn it over to Brian Ruiz, and he does not move quickly towards goal at this point and was caught up with fairly easily by Mm -hmm. the U.S. in that moment against Costa Rica, so he's not doing as much as he's done in the past, but Brian Ruiz is a key player for this team, though I do want to go back to the goal because that is hands down the most important player for this Costa Rica team, and that's Kaylor Navas, 35-year-old, plays for PSG in Liga, more than 100 caps with Costa Rica. He's not actually playing. For PSG right now to be clear it was a mix of injury issues and Gianluigi Donnarumma and so Navas has been on the bench this year but I mean he is an excellent goalkeeper he was the best goalkeeper in World Cup qualifying and CONCACAF by some distance he saved Costa Rica five goals more than expected based off of post shot expected goals he's had good to great shot stopping numbers for PSG and Real Madrid when he's been on the field for years now so if, if Costa Rica, like I said earlier, are going to get out of the group and are going to make any sort of run, Kaylor Navas is going to be the biggest reason why, uh, and he's going to have to win them games if they want to go and progress. Other key players, Ryan, you mentioned it in your intro, Joel Campbell, who doesn't have top speed anymore either, but can do some very useful things still as a 30-year-old. He's kind of this winger-striker hybrid of sorts in Liga Mekis. He'll play up top for Costa Rica, I would imagine. He might shift a little bit out to the wing. He's not a traditional number 9, but he's physical enough and savvy enough to do pretty much any role, to play pretty much any role in the attack. Other members of the old guard, I mentioned Navas, 35, Brian Ruiz, 37, Joel Campbell, 30, Kendall Vostin in the back, 34, Francisco Calvo, 30, moved from MLS to Turkey recently, Oscar Duarte, 33, Celso, uh, Celso Borges, 34, that's kind of the old core, or at least most of it, for this team. But I mentioned it earlier, there's some newcomers as well. There are a number of different players on this team who are 22 or younger, and a couple of them that got moves from Costa Rica over to England recently after World Cup qualifying wrapped up. The first is Jewison Bennett, who's 18 years old. He's a winger, moved to Sunderland in August. He hasn't started at all yet in the championship, but has played some off the bench, loves to drivel, very technical, very left-footed. So I, I don't know why. I enjoy watching a very one-footed player. Bennett can use his right foot, but he he will always pick his left over his right, Aryan Robin style, and I, I enjoy watching that kind of thing. He's really talented, and I think there's a good chance that he starts and gets some real minutes in this tournament. The other youngster that I wanted to highlight is Brandon Aguilera. And both of these players, Jewison and, and Brandon Aguilera, started against the U.S. in the last game of World Cup qualifying and were both excellent in that game. Aguilera is 19 years old, he is a central attacking midfielder, moved to Nottingham Forest from Costa Rica back in July, and then was loaned back to Costa Rica. So he's still playing his club soccer in his home country. Good size and strength, good vision, good left foot, not afraid to try stuff like chipping the keeper from the halfway line, which he did in a game back in August in Costa Rica. He's a promising young player. I hope that Costa Rica find moments to get him integrated in Qatar. He's played for them some in recent matches, he played some in World Cup qualifying I do struggle, though, because to get back to how I think this group is going to play out for Costa Rica, I'm not sure they're going to have many chances to really open up and play. And Aguilera is the kind of person you put on the field when you want to open up and play. Maybe they'll put him underneath Joel Campbell in sort of that Brian Ruiz role, and then Ruiz will come off the bench in the 75th minute or something like that. There could be a chance to do that kind of thing. But I hope we see those two youngsters. There's others as well in this group. But like I mentioned earlier in my, my nickname, this is very much a team of oldies, and, and young players, and if they find the right balance, this could work out for Costa Rica.
1: Good stuff. Uh, Joe, I don't think we've seen much of Aguilera at Nottingham Forest yet. Can you tell us a bit more about him? Is is he a fighter? Does he play dirty? Is he a bit of a maverick?
3: You know, no a bit idea. of a genie in a bottle? Um, I, I think you might want to take this a certain direction. To be clear, yeah, he's not playing <laughs> for Nottingham Forest. He's back in Costa Rica. Um, but yeah, well done. Graham, I'm Good not job. sure. Thanks. I'm not
2: sure Joe knows who Christine Aguilera is. No, I, no, it took me a minute to
3: get there. Are we not talking <laughs> about... <laughs> Are we not talking about Christina Aguilera? Yes. Yes. Okay. We got there. It did take me a beat or two, Taylor.
1: <sighs> oh, that
4: not was
3: fine, Joe. Uh, is anyone?
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> wow. Christina,
4: wow. if you're listening, okay. we apologize. They're...
1: Yeah. Yeah, the,
4: the early 2000s were a time. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I've, we all think time. you're beautiful, no matter what they say, Christina Aguilera. Don't worry about that. Let's talk about Germany, though, shall we? um They have a lot of quality in this team, as you might expect. As I mentioned, no kind of superstar Neymar's or Mbappe's or the like, but a lot of uniform quality across this team. Uh, no Timo Werner, as I mentioned already. So, some questions for the number nine role in this team, as has been the case for a little while for Germany, I suppose. He has a, torn ankle ligament that he got in a Champions League game recently. No Michael Royce either, sadly, missing out with injury in this one. So the number nine role is interesting. Um, it could be Kai Havertz, excuse me, who is uh, playing in that role. Typically likes to play behind a number nine, but we have seen him do that number nine role, both for the national team and for Chelsea as well. And he does seem to be pretty good at it too. Uh, there's also the surprise inclusion of this Germany roster from Dortmund, Borussia Dortmund, Yusufa Magoko. We like him, don't we, Graham? Um, He's good. Yeah. I mean, he's a good bench option. It'd be very interesting, Graham, to see if he gets minutes in this team. I I really hope he does. What do you think?
4: Yeah, I've got a feeling that he might, just because he's he's in good form. Kai Havertz isn't in particularly good form. He is more of a kind of natural number nine. Um, He's not a traditional number nine. He's he's still very much in the mold of a modern forward, but... Nonetheless, he's a goal scorer and a, a slightly different to what Germany have. And I just think if he gets off, I don't think he'll start the first game, but if he gets off the bench and, and maybe does well or, or nicks a goal, scores a goal, then I, I've just got a feeling that maybe he, he gets a run of games for this Germany team and he could be maybe one of the... Germany have a good track record of having like breakout stars yeah. at World Cup, so I cast my mind back to what was the clo- what was closest first World Cup? Was that 2002? 2002, yeah. Yeah, I hadn't heard of Miroslav Klose until that World Cup. Um, and then he was obviously world-class in that tournament. And then you had Mesut Ozil in, in 2010, who I had heard of in that World Cup, but he took like a major step up at, at that tournament. So just that there's a track record of Germans um, kind of taking the next step up and be having a breakout tournament at World Cups. And I think Makuku, there's a chance that maybe he does that in Qatar. Yes,
1: indeed. Uh, the potential breakout star, I'll, I'll jump to the, 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 the superstar, who I think might uh, who is another likely candidate, Graham. Uh, Jamal Masiala, of course who is a superstar at Bayern right mm. now. Uh, English superstar, of course. Born, born in Germany, but raised in England. England youth player. England's Jamal Musiala. So a uh, breakout star for the Germans, potentially. He's 19. Uh, he became the youngest player to make 100 appearances for Bayern Munich when he played in the most recent game against Schalke on Saturday, that win over Schalke. Uh, Lothar Matthias has just compared him to Lionel Messi. He's got nine goals and six assists on this season already. And... He could play in a couple of roles. He might play in that Thomas Muller role, just behind the number nine, or he could play sort of wider that role, maybe in the sort of Serge Gnabry kind of role on the right side of a three in the 4-2-3-1 as well. So Jamal Musiala, I think, could potentially have breakout potential. I've used potential twice in a sentence. That's tautological. Anyway, Yosu um, Kimmich, I think, is one to look out for in this team. We all know much about him. Um, he's a, he'll probably keep... Ilke Gundogan out of this team, I imagine as well, and Leon Goretzka might do the same thing for Okay, Gundogan. But we know he's. It's interesting with Kimmich; he's a very good number six, and we see it a lot. But he's been critiqued at home in Germany for weakness in what they've called the Zweikampf, which, as far as I can see, literally translates to second struggle. But that means challenges and tackles, basically winning the ball back, I suppose. Um, but I don't see that myself. I think he's an essential part of this team uh Lin as I mentioned they're pretty key to controlling the midfield for this German team pretty key to transition from attack to defense a very strong presence in this team as well 14 goals from 44 uh, appearances uh if if it does have weaknesses in this team maybe the fullbacks we've got Tilo Kehrer from West Ham who plays at West Ham I should say in right back but he can also play a bit in centre-back should he be needed and the left-back is David Raum um, who's got only 11 national team caps he debuted last September if we're going to talk about the true strength of this team though it's that they've got a spine of players from the same team I suppose in a kind of similar way to the Spanish team with their Barcelona influence this team is very Bayern uh, so going through the spine you've got Manuel Neuer and you've got Nicolas Sula in uh, in in defence you've got Josio Kimmich and Leon Goretzka in the middle uh, Thomas Muller going through to the front there. And, of course, uh, Kresic-Niapri, Muziala and Sané as well. So very Bayern-esque team here. And in in tournament play where you don't get a lot of time together, particularly in this tournament where players are only just going to meet up with each other literally today on this Monday as we record, um, having that bond with fellow Bayern players, I think, is really, really going to be significant Mm. for this Bayern team. And Hansi Fleck, as well, of yeah. course, has coached all these players. Flick, yeah, Flick had so. Pavar and. Uh, yeah, not Pavar, sorry. He had, he had all these players at, at, at Bayern Munich as well. I was going to say that Flick had Pavar and Alfonso Davies at Bayern. He's got Kerr and Raum in this team. So, not quite a similar standard of fullbacks, which was my point about a potential weakness there. But a very strong team through and through. Uh, I think this one is going to go deep. I'll re emphasize that uh, taylor let's hear about japan mm-hmm. if you will and their
2: roster you germany's and your spain's with your global superstars uh not quite <laughs> as much of that when it comes to japan but there are many important players to talk about i'm going to start with yugo nagatomo 36 year old fullback uh, you may remember him from his time with inter milan uh presently with fc tokyo 137 caps for the national team in a 14-year career. He is, again, 36. Plenty of veteran wisdom and plenty of ability to play with both feet. Uh, He will play on the left side. That's where I think he ends up starting, but can also play and has played on the right side. So a very versatile player is Nagatomo and very involved in the attack. Expect him to be getting forward, putting crosses in, making overlapping runs to either get on the end of a ball or to create space for other attackers. Uh, But the fullbacks for Japan, very, very, important, as we've come to expect from modern teams. Uh, The maybe most important player, in my mind, is Wataru Endo, 29-year-old defensive central midfielder for Stuttgart. Uh, The only player I saw who doesn't really seem to have a deputy... In the sort of, can, uh, I think I've made this comparison earlier, I will do it again, to Tyler Adams for the United States, that there are people who can do that job. But it seems like if Endo can't play, they change the shape because he does so many important things for Japan. Uh, he's very good at screening that back line uh, for Stuttgart. I think he leads the team in tackles, uh, very good with interceptions, but then also very good progressing the ball forward, uh, very Smart when it comes to spotting runs and spotting opportunities ahead of him, so we'll win the ball back, we'll play it forward, and interestingly, uh, never gets yellow cards, has zero yellow cards this season, despite uh, leading uh, the team in successful tackles and tackles attempted, so I guess a clean tackler, which means uh, a low-key specific prediction, he's guaranteed to get a yellow card in the group stage, but I think Endo, (laughs) so important for how Japan want to play, especially now. My guess would be that in that 4-2-3-1, he's partnered by uh, Morita in, in the middle with Kamada ahead of them, Daichi Kamada. Uh, you would think that might be uh, Takumi Minamino. He has the most appearances, goals, and assists across uh, manager Moriasu's 57 games in charge. But he hasn't been playing a ton for Monaco this season, only nine appearances, uh, and hasn't been getting as many starts in the friendlies leading up to this competition. So we may still see Minamino Central. We might see him out on the left. If he's not starting on the left, that could be Takafusa It might be Ritsu Duan. It could be uh, Kyoro, uh Mitsu- Mitama. Uh, we'll talk about him later on when I get to my predictions. Uh, but the other area of interest, concern, whatever you want to go with, would be center forward. There are options there. There are goal scores for Japan, but I don't think there's any... Definitive out and out striker. The two most likely to start would be uh, Takuma Asano of VFL Bochum and uh, Daisen Maida. Graham, can you talk us through Maida? How comfortable would you feel uh, with him starting for your national team at a World Cup?
4: Mm, Okay. He's fast. (laughs) Uh, not particularly good at mm-hmm. scoring chances or goals. <laughs> That's not um, what you want. That's not
2: what you want so much. No. <laughs> um. So that right there, I think it speaks to the concern about goal scoring for Japan. Uh, but they have so many good wide attackers, and I haven't even mentioned uh Junya Ito, who I I would guess will start on on. Uh, on the right wing, ahead of maybe more known players, because he's such an important player for this Japan team. Most assists in qualifying, most chances created, most expected assists, uh, and he also tends to crash the box and sort of get there for the tap-ins for important goals uh, Later in games, so Ito, I think, is another player to keep an eye on. Lastly, in the back, they've got Maya Yoshida. He is the captain. He is the veteran. They've got Ko Itakura, uh, who might start alongside him. Equally likely is Takehiro uh, Tomiyasu from Arsenal, who plays as a fullback for Arsenal for Japan, tends to play as a right center back and is one of the younger but at the same time, more experienced players. He's gotten a ton of reps out uh, of the new manager. So I think there is talent across the board for Japan. It's about can they put it all together? Can they get the goals when the opportunities present themselves? That will be the thing to keep an eye on. But this Japan team, again, has plenty of talent to make a run, I think.
1: Oh, it sounds to me, Taylor, you're suggesting this Japan team might go through to the old knockouts. That
2: is a thing that
1: I'm suggesting, yes. Oh, so let's uh, let's come to you with a prediction on that front, but we'll go around the house is also asking for a very specific prediction for each team. So Graham, uh, your VSP for Spain?
4: So as we've already discussed, Spain like to have the ball. So my VSP is related to that. Uh, I think it would be too easy to say they'll finish the, the tournament with the highest average share of possession. So I will say that they will have over 80% possession in their opening group game against Costa Rica. I think that one could be a little bit of a training exercise in terms of Spain trying to break down the Costa Rica defence. There will also be a Unai Simon mistake, where everyone complains about David De Gea not being there. I should have mentioned him as one of the the most notable omissions. Uh, I know De Gea has his weaknesses, but... He's still one of the best shot stoppers around. And it's not as if Spain are overflowing with better options. But Unai Simon, Lucho has stuck by him for two, three years now, despite the fact that he throws one in his own net every so often. So I predict (laughs) it may not cost
1: Spain in a game or at this World Cup, but I predict that we'll see that once at this World Cup as well. Thank you very much. Joe, is your VSP that Costa Rica will either get under 20% possession against Spain (laughs) or benefit from a
3: goalkeeping howler from Spain? Graham and I should have coordinated. No, it's not. It's about Kaylor Navas, which is the way you have to go with this team. I'm saying that he'll have at least one save that we talk about for two minutes or more, so we can time it, two minutes or more on one of our World Cup shows. I think he's going to have a moment that is pivotal both for Costa Rica and maybe for the outcome of this group. Maybe it's not Costa Rica getting out. Maybe it's a save that helps another team in, in this group. But I think Kaylor Navas is going to have a big-time save that we talk about for a not insignificant amount of time.
2: I like
1: it. You could also kind of fix that one because you could just talk about it anyway. Forever. I'm going to
3: forget, Ryan, to be honest. I'm going to forget. <laughs> it's going to have to be a listener who reminds us whether we did these or not. I hope we can go back through and track who did the best on their predictions. But yeah, I'm, I'm not going to remember. Good stuff. Okay, my VSP
1: for Germany is that Kai Havertz will be Germany's top scorer at the tournament and the highest scoring European in the tournament as Ooh. well. So I looked at the odds here. He is 40 to 1 or plus 4,000 to be. Uh, top scorer in the tournament itself but in in terms of Europeans as far as I could see only Harry Kane Kylian Mbappe Cristiano Ronaldo uh, Memphis Depay and Romelu Lukaku are ahead of him now I I make this claim on the basis that I think Germany are going to go deep I think they get to probably the semi-finals at least Uh, I go on this that Kai Havertz has been pretty comfortable in that forward role he scored twice at Wembley in that aforementioned game against England Uh, maybe likes to play the Force 9 better but I think he's really good at this He's got 10 national team goals already. So, yes, I get the domestic form issue, but I just have a feeling in my bones, Graham, that Habits is going to do this, mm-hmm. and maybe at Makoko's expense.
4: You're aware that Kylian Mbappe has games against Australia and Tunisia in this group stage, right?
1: Yeah, but I like a long pump. <laughs> 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 what can I say? <laughs>
2: All right, well, that, that's why you're Wimbledon
1: Indeed, and I'm sticking with that one. Uh, uh, finally, Taylor, your J- uh, Japan VSP.
2: My Japan VSP, uh, first of all, they will make it out of the group. Uh, I think they have talent at every position. They've got depth. They've got players who can play a variety of positions. So even if somebody goes down who's key, I think they've got coverage elsewhere. They've got flexibility in formation and approach to frustrate. They can take the game to an opponent when needed. Uh, I think a better conversion right in front of goal, uh, and they can really make a run. Or maybe the United States was just horrible in that game and Japan got lucky we shall see uh, my other that's kind of just a, a, a guarantee they're going to make it out of the group my specific prediction relates to a player I mentioned very briefly Kaiora uh, Mitsoma uh, sorry Mitsoma, uh of Brighton who has been a super sub for them uh, of sorts he hasn't been starting every single game but he's coming on and making an impact he did, he did that last week against Arsenal he scores a goal after coming on at halftime uh, and I am predicting that he will score a goal off the bench because it is what He does. Uh, He did that against the United States. In 20 minutes, he came on and scored that second goal. He got a brace against Australia in World Cup qualifying despite subbing on in the 84th minute. As I said, he did it against Arsenal. He tends to be that impact sub. uh, Once defenses are tired, once they've had to deal with the kind of fluidity of Japan's attack, I think he comes in. And I, I, I compared him to the luge, basically, when he makes his runs. The run uh, for the goal he had against the United States is a good example of this, where it's just sort of this bombing run, but he is controlling the ball really well, but he's dribbling with speed and sort of can like bounce off of defenders or make them bounce off of him while maintaining possession. And it's this, this sort of direct attack in on goal, and then he finishes well. So I think he's got... the the creativity you need. I think he can also get on the end of some tap-ins with the way Japan play. So I think, uh, Mitoma will sub on and score in the world cup.
1: I like it. Thank you very much, Taylor Rockwell. Um, you say you're confident of Japan going through. At whose expense do they go through?
2: I think yeah. I, initially I was leaning Germany. You've got me a little bit nervous about how confident I was feeling about Germany not making it out. Uh, so, maybe Spain. Who knows? Uh, I, I think they will okay. They will find a way. I think a lot of it comes down to that first game. Uh, it's uh, Japan, Germany. And I think even if Japan lose that one, if they can win against Costa Rica and then really take the game to Spain, maybe that's where they can get that result. But I think a draw against Germany sets Japan up really well and probably throws Germany into crisis at the same time. Ooh, okay. Joe, how
1: do you feel about that? Do Costa Rica uh, finish any higher than fourth, and do Spain and Germany go through?
2: Uh,
3: No and yes. So I don't think Costa Rica are getting out of this group. I think they will finish last. They're the weakest on quality, and I I just don't think they can do it. Uh, I'm really tempted by Japan. I really enjoyed watching them play against the United States. Like They were very, very good in that game for as bad as the U.S. was, and a lot of Taylor's preview has gotten me excited about them. I'm going to say that it's going to be Germany 1, Spain 2, Japan 3, Costa Rica 4.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm with you with that running order, Joe Graham. Any movement there? Joe, who
4: did you have as your top 2 there? So I had Germany in 1
3: and Spain 2.
4: Yeah, I think I would go with that as well. I think Japan will be good at this World Cup and if they were in another group, I think I would I would tip them to go through, Same. but I just think Germany and Spain are are, pre- are going to be pretty good at this World Cup, mm-hmm. so they'll get squeezed out in my opinion. I will All keep my receipts. Right. thank you very much. like much. an MLS
2: team, I will keep my receipts. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm going to keep the receipt on my wild Kai Habits prediction. We'll see how that one pans out for me. But for now, we have finished our Group E World Cup preview. Taylor Rocco, thank you so much, as always, for your contribution. You, my friend. Buddies. Graham Ruffin, pleasure as always, sir.
4: Thank you, Ryan Beale.
1: And Joe Lowry, I will overlook the Christina Aguilera slur- uh, slurs once, but never again. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, right back at you, Ryan. (laughs) Listener, thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back on the feed shortly with our Group F preview. But for now, bye!